Well, if you look at the title of our psalm tonight, Psalm 102, again, the titles are part of the inspired Word of God. It says, A prayer of the afflicted when he is overwhelmed and pours out his complaint before the Lord. Now, that's something that we should all be able to relate to because we've been afflicted. Man is born to trouble as surely as sparks fly upward. We've been overwhelmed. To be overwhelmed means you're in a situation that you realize that you can do nothing about. And he pours out his complaint before the Lord. And you all need to admit it. You have complained to the Lord. This isn't a prayer request to the Lord. This is an actual complaint to the Lord. See, sometimes we find it necessary to let God know that things aren't as they should be but God allowed the situation or circumstance to continue when you realize that God's doing a work and allowing it to go the length of time that he is because he's got reason and purpose in that. And we're, this is one of those psalms that we're going to see that. We're going to see the despair of the situation. The psalmist when, well, again, that's what he does. Really, the first 11 verses, he's complaining before God. And then we get to verse 12, and there's, uh, and one of these days, I'm going to do a word study on the word but. But God. But here it says, but you. Here's this turning point verse. But you, O Lord, shall endure forever and the remembrance of your name to all generations. And then all of a sudden, he's got a brand new perspective of God. And because he has a new uh, brand new perspective of God, he's got a brand new perspective of the situation, the things that he's dealing with, and all of these things. And again, we can complain to the Lord, the world situation, a health situation, whatever it might be that we're dissatisfied, but we have to always be reminded that God is seated upon the throne and we have that but God moment where we realize that he is in control. And if he's in control and these things are happening, then he is allowing these things happening to happen for his reason and his purpose. And so what's going on with this psalmist is what happens in all of our life when we are faced with our own mortality. It's something you can't ignore, and it's something that you can't change. And again, just even in our prayer request, we've seen people are getting sick. We've seen people have been in accidents, and their lives are, are even at stake, and these things are just reality in our lives. And again, every person in this room, one day, barring an accident, barring murder, you're going to get sick, and you are going to die. There's going to be that situation that takes your life. And so you can't ignore it, you can't change it, but you can trust in God in the midst of it. And so when we were teenagers, we thought, we're going to live forever. We never really thought about death or mortality whatsoever. I remember in my 20s and 30s, young and strong, but busy about career, family, and, and life. And again, didn't really consider those things. But then somewhere between 40 and now even over 60, comes down to the awareness of our lives are winding down. I don't like to admit it, but I'm not quite the person I used to be, not quite as strong, don't endure as much as I used to endure, just weaker than I used to be. And so there's that change, and really you come to the realization that there are certain things that you are weak, you always were, but again, you never really confronted them, but certain things, certain situations and circumstances that, wow, you're, you're just at, well, we know we're at the mercy of God and what better place to be at the mercy of, not at the mercy of chance, not at the mercy of fate, but at the mercy of God. And that's good. That's okay. The world calls this realization a midlife crisis. The church just simply one step closer to heaven. 
And I so look forward to that day, as Job said, oh, how my heart yearns within me. But God has given us a desire for life. He's given us a desire for life and for eternal life. And because of that, we need to continue to push forward, understanding that as God has reason and purpose for my life, I'm immortal until that has been achieved. Certain things, disobedience or whatever, that God may allow to change all of that. But as for now, as long as I'm moving, as long as we're, you're moving in the will of God, God is going to keep you. He's going to watch out for you. You're immortal until that date that God has upon his calendar. In Ecclesiastes chapter 2, verses 24 through 26. Now, there was a time when the church says they were even unsure if Ecclesiastes should have been included in the Bible definitely didn't think that it should be taught to a church, and it was because of verses like the ones I'm going to read. I mean, you know, there was kind of this stoic attitude in the church that we should all be suffering for Christ. Well, verse 24 says, nothing is better for a man than he should eat and drink, and that his soul should enjoy good in his labor. This also I saw was from the hand of God. For who can eat and who can have enjoyment more than I? For God gives wisdom and knowledge and joy to a man who is good or, or right in his sight. But to the sinner, he gives the work of gathering and collecting that he may give to him who is good before God. This is also vanity and grasping in the wind. Well, we have been made good or we have been made right through the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. And what he's saying here is learn to enjoy life. Well, what does that mean? Learn to enjoy life. Well, the good times, I don't have to explain that to you, do I? Because we're enjoying the, the times. But how about the difficult days? Learn to enjoy the difficult time. I mean, you're not going to, wee, I'm going through a trial. I'm not saying that. But the idea behind it is, is enjoy what God is doing. Understanding that God has allowed this thing for a purpose. And if that's the case, that means God is mindful of you. God cares for you. God desires to change you. God desires to do that work in you because God's got future purposes for you. And the absolute worst thing that could happen is one day God is going to allow you to get sick and die. But then what is he going to do? He's going to gather you unto himself for all of eternity. And you're going to forever be in the presence of the Lord Jesus Christ. And I always think of that picture of the Apostle John in the Last Supper as he has his head upon the Lord's chest looking up into the eyes of glory. We're going to have that opportunity to be in the presence of glory, our Lord of glory. Psalm 102 is another one of those psalms that is an orphan psalm. And again, I believe it's an orphan psalm. We've been given these psalms with no authors. Why would that happen? Because a lot of them do have the authors to them. Previous one, Psalm 101, is a psalm of David. The next one is a psalm of David. This very well could be a psalm of David, but the Bible doesn't tell us that it's a psalm of David. But really what I think it is, it's a psalm of you. Again, these orphan psalms are orphan because God wants us to consider not just something that happened a long time ago to this particular person, but it's real in your life even today. The thoughts penned by the author are ones that each and every one of us at some point will be able to write ourselves. Why? Because, well, for the teenager, that time is going to come. For the 20 and 30-year-old, they need to slow down and they need to consider life and the brevity of life. And for the 40 to 60-year-old, well, we have those thoughts because they are real and they are real in our lives that I've been given a measure of years. Matter of fact, 
you know, I look back, 62 years old, and I look back and think, how fast life went. But when I was over at 20, how slow life was going. And it's all about this life being this, this vapor. You flash upon the scene, you make a difference, earn your fortune, prayerfully you glorify God, and then you're gone. But you're not gone. And, and that's the encouragement that I give to people, especially when I'm doing a gravesite. At a gravesite service, what are they? Well, you know, there's a casket and there's the hole. And the casket's lowered down into that hole. And you can so easily be of the mindset that this person is gone, but they're not gone. Matter of fact, even at that moment, they exist and they are more alive than they have ever been in their life. If they're born again, they're absent from that body and that body is going to be lowered down into that hole, but they're present with the Lord. My wife and, my, and myself, we've been talking about what do we want done with these carcasses when they expire? Um, we've made the consideration of, of burial versus um, uh, cremation and all. And then, what, you know, if we get cremated, what do we want done with the ashes? And we both made the determination, we don't care. That's going to be the last problem that we're going to give our kids to deal with as an act of revenge for all the problems that they have caused us. But what we don't want, don't store me in a closet somewhere. Go dump me somewhere. Um, it, it just doesn't matter. The Catholicism said, and even the Catholic Church no longer believes this, that you ought not to be cremated. It was a sin for a Catholic to be cremated for a period of time, and they've given up on that. As all cremation does is cause, and I've looked up the time frame, and I don't remember any of that, but it causes to happen within a matter of minutes what deterioration will cause to happen in a matter of years. Either way, you end up a pile of ashes, but God's able to put you back together when the time comes. He's the one who spoke you into existence from nothing, mankind. He's the one who can reassemble from the pile of ashes. And so as far as God's sight, it's all good. It's all very good. Never forget that. It's all, you're born again, it's all good. The trials, they're all good because they're all working together for some good that God's desired to do. And so whatever it is that God desires, it's good. And I had to remind myself of that. We're, our lease is up here at the church. It's going to be up at the end of April. And we got the offer from our landlord. And the economy, the economy's been good. And unfortunately, that reflects negatively for our lease here. Now, they've offered to renew our lease. They're so generous. But we've been paying 64 cents a square foot, which comes out to be $10,700 a month. Well, they're raising it to 86 cents a square foot, which I, I did the numbers and I don't remember exactly. I, I think I've chosen to remain ignorant in this, but it's about $14,000 a month. But the thing about it is, if it's working together for the good, it's all good. And guess what? God's able to afford it. And so I don't know what the Lord has. We're holding off right now to see if God has something else for us but I do ask that you would keep it in prayer because I just simply want to do what God wants us to do. If God wants us to sign the lease, then God has, will provide for that lease. I remember when we first moved in here, our rent was about $7,000 a month, and I'm thinking, oh my gosh, how are we going to come up with that every single month? And guess what? We've come up with it every single month. And that's not a good term. We haven't come up with it. 
God has provided every single. Never have we been late and never have we missed a payment. And it's all been by God. It's not me. It's, it, you ought not to think it's you as the individual, but it's God working through us collectively. And God has provided and God will always provide. Although we do not know the psalmist's age here, but if you look at verse 11, you see that he's going through pretty difficult time, and it's as if he is looking back at his life. So I'm kind of putting this in the context, and we're just going to look at it from the perspective of an older person who's more than likely very sick at this time. Again, verse 11 says, My days are like a shadow that lengthens, and I wither away like grass. And we'll see the solution to this issue is going to be as we move in as I pointed out earlier but I want to kind of visit this before we get into the just of our study is turning to God because that which you turn to is going to be that which is big or that which is important in your life you're wanting to look to something that is greater than you because this is a situation you can't do anything about and so I want somebody that can do something in this situation and so maybe we'll think money is able to do it. Maybe we'll think a smart doctor is able to do it. That's smarter than I am in these particular things, financial expert. But ultimately, it's God. Because remember, when you turn to something, you are also turning away from something. So if I'm going to turn to any other source or any other person or whatever than God, that means I am also turning away from God. How can I truly put all of my trust in God and also kind of hedge my bet over here? Now, I'm not saying if you're sick, don't go to the doctor, but who ultimately are you putting your trust in? It's seeking the Lord out and praying that the Lord would send the proper doctor to you. If you need to take medication, that they would reveal, that God would reveal the proper medication for your situation but ultimately trusting to God, turning to God. Again, not turning to a doctor as far as your trust, but turning to God and then using the resources that God provides. And so in the first part of this psalm, verses 1 through 11, the psalmist, he's kind of seething on his sickness, he's musing on the misery that he's in, and he's crying about his circumstances, and we'll see this peppered throughout these verses. If you look throughout, he says, my heart, I am, I am, I lie, and, and my enemies, for I have eaten ashes, and he's just, his focal point is all upon him. And you can just see how narcissistic this really is about his situation, rather than just simply surrendering it to God and, Lord, your will be done. That was the beauty of Job. Job didn't go perfectly through his trial there, but you can see that he did trust in the Lord. From ash, naked I have come into this world, and naked I will return. The Lord has given and the Lord has taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. And so he's understanding the magnitude of who God is, and he's understanding the reality of who he is in the sight of God, and he's able, Job is able, to find a contentment. Well, in verses 1 through 11, the psalmist just simply isn't there. And at the beginning of our trial, a lot of times, we're not there as well. But as he goes through these things, 
at least God has his attention, and the psalmist does begin to turn in the direction of the Lord, at least by acknowledging the Lord. And so really, this first part of the psalm is a lament in which he cries out blindly to God and then describes his condition and the situation and you know, as if here's a whole mess, God, that has happened, maybe even apart from your knowledge or your control. And really what he's doing is he's calling out to God without really submitting to God through submission to the situation. And really what we see here in the first couple of verses is five requests that he makes to God. And the first thing that he asks is, hear my prayer, O Lord. We know what, that God does hear our prayer because we have the word of God. And so really what he's saying here is, is as I'm asking of you, God, you need to hear what I'm asking of you. Now, it's important that we know and have that desire that God hears our prayer, but we need to do so in perfect obedience to the desires and the will of God as we're going through this situation. I mean, understand, you know, prayer, you're talking to God. Again, prayer, you're, you're talking to God. You're not just using it as a soundboard to express your will and your desire. You're submitting yourself before the throne of God and making a request of the one who has given you grace and mercy and brought you into his kingdom. We're unworthy to come before him, and so our request needs to be done on the basis of the knowledge of the holiness of God. And if you're unaware of all of these things, go back and read from Psalm 92 through to Psalm 100. We looked at it in detail. Now, we are told, the word of God, 1 John chapter 5, verses 14 through 15. Now, this is the confidence that we have in him. You, church, are able to have a confidence in God. Know this, that if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. And if we know that he hears us, whatever we ask, we know that we have the petitions that we have asked of him. And so these are things that we know. Know, and the idea behind the know here is how you have grown in the knowledge of God through experience in prayer. Because we have all asked contrary to God's will, but according to our will, and we see these things either haven't been granted or have been granted, but to our detriment. And so we learn, it's the maturity of the born-again believer. We learn how to pray. We learn what to pray for. People come up to me and ask me, Pastor Mike, pray that I get better. I don't know that God wants to make you better. I do pray, because the Bible does say that we pray for a healing, but even above and beyond that, I pray for the will of God to be done, to be accomplished in your life. Again, that there would be perfect submission to the good work that God is doing. Secondly, let my cry come to you. His desire is that this would be an acceptable prayer to God. And the idea is, is that this would come up into the throne room of God. Well, again, we already have that assurance through the Lord Jesus Christ. But the idea is, is that altar of incense that we've told about in Revelation chapter 5, verse 8. It says, 24 elders fell down before the Lamb, each having a harp and golden bowls full of incense, which are the prayers of the saints. My wife we were just generally talking, and she was asking, I wonder what language we're going to speak in heaven or how we're going to communicate. And me being the Bible scholar that I am, my answer was, I don't know. Bible doesn't tell us. What does it smell like in heaven? I never thought about that, but I think this is what it smells like. 
incense. And I would have to imagine that this is the incense that we've been given the formula for in Exodus. And you say, well, I'll turn to Exodus and find out what that smells. Well, it also says to not do it, not to put it together, because it was to be that, that, that incense, that smell for the service of the priesthood. Not that God's going to kill you or curse you if you put it together, but the Bible says not to do something. My encouragement to you is don't do it. But what is sweeter than the prayers of the saints entering into the presence of the Lord? Your prayers are a sweet-smelling incense to God. And, And I'll even say it this far, even if it's improperly presented, and what I mean by that is, is with a pure heart, you're praying for a situation to go away that God doesn't want to go away, but God sees your heart as you're seeking after him. And that sweetness into the nostrils of God. What is an acceptable prayer? What is a prayer that enters into his presence? Once again, it's one prayed according to his will. And then he asks God, do not hide your face. Ever see somebody coming towards you and maybe there's an issue there and you kind of make the determination, well, you know what, I'll at least say hi. And you're coming up to them and as they approach you, they just kind of turn away from you and ignore you. And you're thinking, oh, well. I don't know if you think, oh, well, or something worse than that, but nonetheless, just to ignore you. It's almost as if it's an insult. Well, that's it. Lord, don't hide your face. I I need the full attention of you towards me. This is to have the desire to bring everything before God and have God see these things. Now, Paul wrote in 1 Thessalonians 5, verse 17, to pray without ceasing. You know why he told us to pray without ceasing? Is because God never stops listening. Is to constantly be in that state of prayer. And so, to constantly have a conversation with God as you go throughout your day. And if you remember Daniel, the satraps and all the other officials that were jealous of Daniel... They were wanting to bring a charge against him, but they were unable to bring any kind of charge against him because this is a man who had integrity. And they didn't know what to do. But then one day, somebody had a good idea. We'll go to the king, and we'll tell the king that king, and you know they were building him up, oh, great king, issue a law that all mankind would bow before you and bow before nobody else because they knew that Daniel wouldn't do that. King sounded like a good idea to him, and so he made it into a law. And in that society, once even a king made something into law, put it into writing, it couldn't be changed. And they knew that Daniel would be praying. And so they were watching because what he would do is he would open his window that faced towards Jerusalem. He was in Babylonian captivity at the time, and he would go fall down on his face and pray three times a day to the Lord. And they were waiting for him, and they found out that he did it, and they used that against him. And I remember as we were studying that, just an interesting concept that I saw is, well, a lot of times hardship will come into our lives, and we'll start praying. Not that that's a bad thing, but Daniel, he had a head start on it. The hardship entered into his prayer life. Usually our prayer life enters into the hardship, but for him... hardship entered into this man who was already praying and already seeking God. It's as if he hit the trial running. He was well prepared as he entered into it. This is around the time, or this is the time of the lion's den incident, and God prepared him as he was thrown into that lion pit. 
is because he was a man of prayer sought after the Lord as he went into the midst of this horrible trial, God protected him and God preserved him. God will protect us and God will preserve. But just think of how much better, how much more I will be able to hit the ground running if I become a person of habitual prayer. Then the trials that enter tomorrow, if you're a person of prayer today, the trials of tomorrow are going to enter into a person who's prepared by prayer. And so there's going to be issues, there's going to be trials, there's going to be tribulation. Are you going to wait till they hit and start praying then? Kind of a flare prayer, SOS prayer? Or is it going to be something that you're well prepared for because you've pre-prayed, if you will? Number four and number five, he asked first, turn your ear to me, and then secondly, answer me quickly. God doesn't work that way. He's wanting God to work according to his timetable. How long, you should know this one by now, how long are the trials and tribulations that you enter in, how long are they going to last? I know how, how long they're precisely going to last. Just as long is as necessary. God is going to allow, if it needs to be a year, God's going to allow it to be a year. If it needs to be five, it needs to be a day, it needs to be not, whatever it might be. Whatever is necessary for God to achieve his purposes. But keep in the back of your mind, 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 8. But beloved, speaking to believers, do not forget this one thing, that with the Lord one day is as a thousand years, and a thousand years is one day. So time, God's beyond time. We're, we're so we're so constrained by time and focused upon time. How long? Just as long is as is necessary. God's patient because he doesn't operate according to the timetables we do. But with, a, uh, but with the Lord, one day is as a thousand years and a thousand years is one day. The Lord is not slack concerning his promises, some count slackness, but is long-suffering towards us not willing that any should perish, but all should come to repentance. Now, he's talking about salvation, but how much more so in a born-again believer's life? God's not wanting you to perish in the midst of the trial, but that you would seek God out if change is necessary to be made, that you would make the change, and that you would move forward in the Lord. And so we have these opportunities. We need to, we need to see the reality of the Word of God, and especially the beauty of Psalms is the Word of God filtered through a life and how these things work, and it's reflected through the psalmist as he's written in these various chapters, regardless, again, of who the author is. It's the thing I discovered about the book of Psalms is these things are practical. Verses 3 through 7 for my days are, well, I don't remember if I read verse 2. Let me read from verse 1. Hear my prayer, O Lord, and let my cry come to you. Do not hide your face from me in the day of my trouble. Incline your ear to me in the day that I call. Answer me speedily, for my days are consumed like smoke, and my bones are burned like a hearth. The heart is stricken and withered like grass, so I forget to eat my bread. Because of the sound of my groaning, my bones cling to my skin. I am like a pelican of the wilderness. I am like an owl of the desert. I lie awake and like a sparrow alone on the housetop. A little dramatic here, but nonetheless, you just see the suffering. Is he really suffering this bad? Probably not, because we never really are. I mean, we kind of play these things up, but the thing that we do need to see is, is that he is suffering. And so it's during these hard times that we take stock of our lives and the things that are going on. 
in verses 6 through 7, when evaluating his life in the face of his trouble, he becomes even more troubled. Seems like it intensifies. I'm like a pelican of the wilderness, like an owl in the desert. I lie awake and like a sparrow alone on the housetop, I'm hopeless and it seems to be helpless. Seems to be as if life is just a log thrown into the fire only to be changed into smoke and to fade away. Ecclesiastes 1, 17 through 18, this was one of the first conclusions that the preacher in Ecclesiastes came to when it came to life. He says, I set my heart to know wisdom and to know madness and folly. Keep in mind, he's looking at these things apart from a relationship with God. He says, I perceive that this is also grasping for the wind, for in much wisdom is much grief, and he who increases knowledge increases sorrow. His statement in verse 7 I lie awake and like a sparrow alone on the housetop is very well compared to Isaiah 40, verses 7 through 8. The grass withers, the flower fades because of the breath of the Lord blows upon it. Surely the people are grass and grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of God stands forever. A good thing because, well, it's then that we seek after God with all of our hearts and all of our souls. Verse 8, my enemies reproach me all day long, and those who deride me swear an oath against me, for I have eaten ashes like bread and mingled my drink with weeping because of your indignation and your wrath, for you have lifted me up and cast me away. Even in verse 11, my days are like a shadow that lengthens, and I will wither away like grass. What this tells me is, is that this trial is real, and it's what you have to realize when you have the opportunity to minister to somebody that is going through something traumatic in their life. Because again, I've mentioned this before, but we can look at the trials of others, and we can think of when you come to me and say you're going through this trial, and you can kind of look at it and say, well, what's the big deal? That's, that's not really that big of a trial. But if it is to them, it's important to them. Compassion means that you're going to meet people where they are at in the midst of the trial and mourn along with them. And the idea is, is for the purpose of support and the purpose of ministering to them for seeing them through it and continue to keep their focus to the Lord and not upon the situations and circumstances that are hurting and bringing these things into their lives. And so again, you look really verses, well, really verses 1 through 11, this situation It's not looking good for the psalmist. But then we enter into verse 12, because keep this in mind, regardless of the trial that you are going through, there's always a verse 12. There's always an opportunity for a turning point when you come to a higher awareness of God. But you, O Lord, shall endure forever and the remembrance of your name to all generations. That means, well, God is is always going to be there. Never is God going to forsake him because as far as the lifespan of God is infinity, that means that my existence will exist in in the time that God is, is, and God is able to work. And the remembrance of your name to all generations, it's not stopping with me. This is going to flow through, and we know, through to the church age and then for eternity. Everything that was said before looks to this verse. Everything that follows is built upon this verse. And maybe a best example, verses 1 through 11, a description of somebody who has a religious life, but not really personally having that, that, that relationship with God. 
verse 12 is the day that you become saved and you understand the reality of God than verses 13 through 28, your life ever since, as it's built upon the foundation of God. So although the psalmist just saw himself as smoke, a shadow, and grass that withers away, he now looks to his God who is eternal to all generations. So I have a major problem. There was a time in my life before I was born again, I would go to my father for help. If it was right, if it was in his ability, my father would would help me. But I have a big problem today. If I'm depending upon him today, I've got a really big problem because he's gone. He died. He he died back in February of 1999. And, and, And the thing is, is that whatever it is you may depend upon can so easily go away if it's not God, if it's not the Lord. And so look at verses 12 through 17 with that in the back of your mind. But you, O Lord, shall endure forever. Our help will endure forever. And the remembrance of your name to all generations. You will arise and have mercy on Zion. Zion are the mountains that are really hills that are around Jerusalem. So a lot of times when there's a reference to Zion or Mount Zion, they're speaking of Jerusalem, and that's what's happening here. You also will arise and have mercy on Zion for the time of your faith for the time to favor her. Yes, the set time has come. For your servants take pleasure in her stones and show favor to her dust. So the nations shall fear the name of the Lord and all the kings of the earth your glory. For the Lord shall build up Zion. He shall appear in his glory. He shall regard the prayer of the destitute and shall not despise their prayer. And so his, 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 his view has changed. And notice one of the things in how his view has changed. Yeah, first of all, he looked to God, but no longer is he looking to self. He's looking to Zion. He's looking to the destitute. He's looking to God's people. He's understanding that God has a plan here. and God's got a purpose. As far as us, we can be so focused upon our individual situations. We're to offer them up in prayer, but also the, the work that God's doing. The thing that God wants to do through the church in this evil generation today. Understand how God still reaches the destitute today. God's been doing great things through our church at Mercy House and been ministering to the homeless. I think Andy said we had, we we fed, I think it was 19 people this last Wednesday. Uh, There was a man, I mean this man, I don't know what happened to his wife, but he has twin kids. We've been able to kind of, they set him up in a home. We've been able to provide for that. Um, There is a woman and her son that we've been able to provide for them. God's been using us in great ways to reach out to these people. And there's so many more that need to, to experience the hand of God. Are we here to feed people and to provide people home? No, that's not our purpose. But if we can use those things to preach the gospel, to share the love of Christ, then how much the better. And so the idea behind this man now, his mind is off of himself and towards others and towards God and the work that God is doing. So with his focus off himself, the psalmist now prays for basically four separate things here. First of all, he prays for Jerusalem, again, seen in Mount Zion. He knows that man's future and hope rest upon the existence of Jerusalem. We know that, and that would be a picture of a messianic prophecy because that's where Christ was going to come through. Not so much Jerusalem, but that's where the price was paid for our sins. Secondly, he prays for the conversion of the Gentile nations. A sick Christian 
is definitely better off than a healthy heathen. And so, obviously, he doesn't know the concept of Christians and, and whatnot, but still, he understands verse 15, so the nations fear the name of the Lord. He understands because of this work that God is doing, Zion's going to be preserved for the purpose of achieving it, and it's going to result in not God's people being ministered, the Jews, but also in the conversion of the Gentiles. And then he also prays in verse 18, we see, really, it's not just them at that time, but it's for the church, it's for us as well. And then lastly, praying for those who are held captive. Look at verse 19. For he looked down from the height of the sanctuary, from heaven the Lord viewed the earth, to hear the groaning of the prisoner, to release those appointed to death, to declare the name of the Lord in Zion and his praise in Jerusalem when the people are gathered together in the kingdoms to serve the Lord. He's understanding we have God's attention. We're told that God, God thinks upon us. I know the thoughts that I think towards you, says the Lord, thoughts of peace and not evil, to give you a future and a hope. We looked at the psalm, and it escapes me which one it is right now, but God keeps your tears in a, in, a, in a bottle. He's aware of the sadness and the difficulties that go on in your life. Our God is a personal God, and he's well aware. He looks down from heaven. Well, we just had the description of what that means in the theocratic psalms, that God is seated upon the throne. Again, the place of power and authority and the God who is looking from that place of a power and authority over all the universe is looking down upon you. And it's not for the purpose of judging you. It's not in the purpose of thumping you on the head when you mess up. It's for the purpose of helping you. It's for the purpose of encouraging you. It's for the purpose at times of healing you. It's for the purpose of meeting you. And, and so we need to understand that reality that God has in our life. He's constantly working out his will in our lives. Verse 19 through 20, for he looked down from the height of the sanctuary from heaven, the Lord viewed the earth, to hear the groaning of the prisoner, to release the appointed to death, to declare the name of the Lord in Zion and his praise in Jerusalem when the peoples are gathered together in the kingdoms to serve the Lord. There's going to be some people today, there's some people out there that today was their appointment for death. We never know when that's going to happen in our individual lives. I was just telling my wife, even on the way here, you know, we've lost some, some very loved people of our church this past year. You know, Donna, as she went to be with the Lord, Anne, as she went to be with the Lord. And, you know, it, it, it's hard, but they had their appointed day. That was the day that God appointed, not so much to take them from us, but to bring them unto himself. And again, Josie, you know, as well, we had her funeral just a little while ago. I hate mentioning names because you're afraid you're going to leave somebody out. But, but it, it, it's all good because God brings them unto themselves. And so notice the psalmist here, it's not this, this, this dirge anymore of mourning. It's more of a song of rejoicing as he's coming to this awareness of God. Verse 23, he weakened my strength in the way he shortened my days. I said, oh my God, do not take me away in the midst of my days. Your years are throughout all generations. Of old, you laid the foundations of the earth, and the heavens are the work of your hands. They will perish, but you will endure. Yes, they will all grow old like a garment, like a cloak. You will change them, and they will be changed. But you are the same, and your years will have no end. The children of your servants will continue, and their descendants will be established before you. 
and we are established before God because really that's what the psalmist is speaking. He's speaking of us in our day. We have been established. How we've been established through the Lord Jesus Christ. We still go through the difficult day. We go through the trials and tribulations. Matter of fact, it's natural. All those who desire to live godly will suffer persecution. But nonetheless, we have that God who cares for us. Because consider this, this last thing tonight. Jesus died for you. He saw the value of you, that he died for you upon the cross. He was willing to set aside an element of his godhood. He, he became flesh. He came here. We just celebrated communion. And he allowed mankind to abuse him, to nail him to the cross because he loves you. He did all that because he loves you. When the devil's telling you God doesn't care about you anymore, when you're going through that trial and it seems like God is ignoring, no, he died for you upon the cross. Everything else pales in comparison to that. There's going to be some trials that are, that are hard and difficult. There's no doubt about that. But then there's going to be that one day that, again, God brings you into himself, and you're going to see the vapor that life is. You're going to see the, the, the hurt and the pain of the tribulation, and even the greatest one that leads to death. It pales in comparison to the glory that is going to be revealed in us through Christ Jesus. Oh, how our heart yearns within as we so look forward to that day. Until that day comes, Lord, your will be done. Father, once again, we just thank you for your goodness. We thank you, Father, for the encouragement that you give us through your word. And again, your word written so long ago, but Father, it's reflected through a life because really your people don't change other than being born again. But the situations that we deal with they don't change. And the pain that we experience, it doesn't change. And Father, the hope that we have doesn't change as well. And God, you are always our good hope. I lift up those who are on the prayer list tonight, God, that you would do a good work within their lives. I pray for anybody that might be even here tonight or watching online who's dealing with hardship, with trials and tribulations. Father, that you would reveal yourself to them. Let them know that they have your ear, that your face is directed towards them, that they have your attention and you are receptive. And those prayers are, are just like that fine incense and it's a sweet-smelling aroma unto you. And so, Father, just do a good work amongst your people that glorifies yourself, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Will you all stand, please?